0: Good morning, church. All right, let's start off with a little quiz today. On the back of your bulletin are ten Christmas words or Christmas terms. Let's see how many of these we actually know what they mean and where they come from. Starting with Christmas itself. Christmas is a contraction. Christ Mass, the Mass in which they celebrate Christ. Number two, Santa Claus comes from a corruption of Saint Nicholas. Thirdly, Yule. Yule derives from an old ner- Norse word, Yol. This must have been the Norse that lived down in the south. and y'all that was once the name of a 12-day pagan festival leading up to what we now call Christmas Day. Noel. Noel is a French variant of nael, which comes from the Latin word natalis, which means birth. Noel means birth. Advent. Advent is the season of preparation before Christmas lasting around four weeks. It comes from the Latin word adventus which means arrival or coming. And the second advent would be the second coming of Jesus. Nativity, from the Latin word nativus, which means birth. Wassailing. Here we go. Wassailing is just another term for caroling. It comes from the Old Norse phrase, meaning be healthy and was a common greeting. Tidings refers to the announcement of an event and comes from an Old English term, meaning to happen. Hark, The herald angels sing, means listen, comes from Old English. And then 10th, Emmanuel. We sang a song, Emmanuel, just uh, this morning. Emmanuel is a Hebrew word meaning God with us. It appears in the Old Testament book of Isaiah and in the Gospel of Matthew. It is applied to Jesus as a title. It's it's Emmanuel, that one that I wanted to focus on this morning. God with us, meaning of uh, Jesus' birth means God is with us. Now, if you're new to us, we've been in a sermon series for the month of December called Regifting Christmas. So, What we've been doing is looking at some of the gifts that we've received from God as Christians that we can in turn regift or gift to other people. I mean, what do you give people who have basically all have every, just about everything we need? So what do you give somebody who has everything that they, they need? Well, these are gifts that we've been talking about that everybody needs. Christians need these gifts. Non-believers need these gifts, children, adults need the gifts that we've been talking about. We started off with forgiveness. God probably the best gift we've received from God is the forgiveness of our sins and we can forgive others who have sinned against us. We talked about the gift of encouragement. The Bible says, God is the God of encouragement. He always encourages, And we do not encounter anyone, brush up against anyone, talk to anyone who does not need encouragement in their lives. And we can give the gift of encouragement. Last Sunday, we were talking about kindness. God has been kind to us. He's being kind to us right now at this very moment. And his expectation is that we give kindness to others. So that brings us to today. And I want to zero in on this concept. This is really the most Christmassy one of all. That Emmanuel means God is with us. When Jesus was incarnated, He was born, God was with us in a very special way. Now, you can't necessarily re-gift a baby. I'm not sure that would be legal or even desirable. But the the concept of giving our presence, giving presence, not P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, but presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, giving the gift of presence. What did it mean? What was God communicating with the presence of Jesus born as a baby, I want to look at. We could say a lot of things. We're going to look at three characteristics of Jesus' presence, starting with the fact it was his physical presence, a physical presence. John 1:14, John records the Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus being born, he wasn't a, a phantom. He wasn't an illusion. It wasn't some kind of a metaphor. Jesus was actually God the Son, second part of the Godhead who became flesh and was with us in a physical way. And so we can give the gift of our physical presence. Obviously, I do not mean that in an arrogant or a presumptuous way, like here I am blessing you with my presence today. But it is a fact that our physical presence can be a blessing to other people. You know, think of some of the verses in the Bible that admonish us to show up and be present. I'll give you a sampling. Hebrews 10, 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Matthew 25, 36. Jesus said, I was in prison, and you visited me. 2 John 12. I hope to visit you soon. Talk with you face to face. James 1, 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Your physical presence means something. It's important. It can be a blessing here in the assembly. In our worship time. You being here means something to me. My being here means something to you, to each, for each other. If you invite a guest to come to church, you'd like there to be some other people there because the medium is the message, and the presence of people communicates something. Among other things, That you know, the kingdom of God and God himself is important enough for the people to carve time out of our busy schedules for some, maybe even their only day off, to come and gather together and have community and to worship God. So our physical presence in the assembly. What about at a funeral? And when you go to a funeral, there's no substitute for a physical presence. It's good to send a sympathy card and whatnot. But people don't go to funerals because they're entertaining. They go because they want to communicate to the loved ones, I cared about your relative who passed away, and I love and I care about you. Remember Job in the Old Testament. In the space of a few days, he loses his health, his wealth, Members of his family, he's grieving, he's sick, he's sitting on an ash heap, and three of his friends show up. I mean, just love shows up. Job 2.13, they didn't even say anything. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Just being there. Family. Our family. When I was in college, we took a family living course, and the instructor introduced this phrase you've got to be where the being is. he said. It's an old country phrase. You've got to be where the being is. What does that mean? Well, it means in our families, there come times, maybe it's a play or a recital or a big ball game or something, where there's no substitute for being. That's where the being is. And we need to be there to communicate that we care and that we love. This person is important in our lives. And even beyond that, beyond the special times, just in our regular day in, day out, family living, being present with each other, being present in our families is important. That's not always possible. I mean, we go through cycles in life, and sometimes our, our jobs may take us away. I know in the military, you can have like six months deployments, live in Norfolk, it's a Navy town. People will go out for six months, they're gone from their families can't help that sometimes there's a divorce or separation or some other circumstances that may prevent us from being always physically present the way we want to but we recognize that's the ideal and we do the best we can under the circumstances and the circumstances we find ourselves it's reading about an, an elderly man who uh, every year in the springtime he would he would plant a tomato garden but he gotten to the age where he couldn't hardly do it anymore and his son Vinnie used to help him but Vinnie had broken the law and wound up in jail and wasn't around to help him anymore And so uh, his dad wrote Vinny a letter. He said, Dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm, I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would be happy to dig the plot for me like in the old days. Love, Papa. A few days later, he received this letter from his son. Dear Papa, don't dig up that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. Love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and local police arrived, dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. That same day, he received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. (laughs) Love, Vinny. Hey, we we, we do the best we can under the circumstances. Circumstances are not always ideal, but we recognize our physical presence can be and is a blessing in many circumstances and situations. So Jesus' birth, is incarnation, word incarnation literally means in flesh. When Jesus was born, it was a physical presence. Here's another characteristic of Jesus' birth, a humble presence. His presence was a humble presence. Philippians 2.7. Jesus took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Think about how humbling it was for God to do this. Our God is a humble God. Do you ever think about God as being humble? Uh, you know, I preached a whole sermon series. Who is God? I was talking about the different attributes of God. Well, one attribute that we don't often recognize is the humility of God. And somebody, some may think, humble? God seems like a megalomaniac to me. He's always asking for praise and worship and glory and adoration. Well, he's not. I'm a megalomania is a false sense of one's importance. but God truly is important. He is the Creator, He's the ultimate being. He is worthy of all of our worship and glory and honor and praise and adulation. So there's that, but also God is humble. In the Incarnation, he divested himself many of his qualities, left the throne room of heaven. He emptied himself in order to become a human being, a creature right, and to become our servant, a slave, the Bible says, and then to die for us, And, and, and we didn't even deserve it. We're undeserving of that. Romans 5, 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us, and this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, there's an implication to that, and the implication is that we are to be a humble presence in our families, in our churches, in our schools, and business. Philippians 2, 3, back to Philippians, in the same context where Paul had been writing about God humbled himself to become a baby, he says, "...do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves." Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Consider others better than yourself. Really? Is that possible? Is that even desirable? You know, there will be a lot of uh, field, field types, psychiatrists, psychologists, who would say, that's you should put yourself first. Always take care of number one. It's not even healthy to think about others as more important than yourselves. But isn't that what Jesus did? Did he not consider us as more important than himself? Did he not treat us better than he treated himself when he became a servant and a slave and died on the cross for those who were unworthy? He is worthy. We are unworthy. So he is our example. And we are to think of others in a humble way. I preached a message, as I said, on forgiveness, that we to offer forgiveness to everyone in our life. Hey, we can't control their reaction. It may or may not restore the relationship, but there should be no one in our lives whom we have not forgiven. So offer forgiveness, but let's flip that around. What if I'm the one who has sinned against someone else? And I need to go to them and apologize and ask for forgiveness. Now, of the two, either offering forgiveness to someone who's sinned against me or asking for forgiveness for someone of whom I've sinned which is more difficult which is more challenging I think it's this one over here a couple of weeks ago I was at Sam's I was going into Sam's you know how Sam's is laid out you've got the entrance the big entrance there and you've got an exit people are supposed to come out the exit and go in the entrance obviously and there's there was a guy out there the the, the worker who had the carts all lined up for the customers you come you get your cart and you go on in. So I, I, I approached the entrance there, and he had the cart ready, and I grabbed the cart, and I said, thank you, and I, I went on in, and he gave me a funny look, and then when I went in, I, I, I said, thank you, and I heard behind me, I heard, well, you're welcome, and I thought, what was that? I turned around, there was an elderly couple behind me with a cart, and she was giving me the stink eye, and I thought, well, what's that all about? And then I realized, kind of just dawned on me all of a sudden, what had happened was there was a before I got there, there was a guy who was exiting out the entrance. Right, he's exiting out the entrance. Here's this elderly couple. They had their cart. They were politely waiting for him to come out before they went in. Well, I'm coming from over here. I'm in the zone. I'm on a mission. I didn't see all that that was going on. I just the guy had left, and I saw the opening, and I went in there, grabbed my cart, and headed on in. So in effect, I had kind of butted in front of this couple. So when I said thank you to the the worker guy, he gave me a funny look, and then. They heard me say thank you, this couple behind me, and she said, well, you're welcome. So, you know, obviously, what's, what's, the, what's the next, what's the proper thing to do now at this point? Obviously, it's to apologize. I, I think I butted in line in front of you. I'm sorry it was an accident. That's, that's obviously the thing to do, but I didn't want to do that. <laughs> did not want to do that. I did it. And it's like I had the proverbial, the devil over here and the angel over here on my shoulder, and the angel saying, Steve, you need to apologize to that couple back there because you were rude. You didn't mean to, but you were rude. Now, here's the devil over here, and the devil is saying, no, Steve, it wasn't really your fault. It was the guy who was coming out. Yeah, you know, he was exiting out the entrance. It was really his fault, and it was an accident. You didn't mean to do anything. And by the way, the, that lady back there was sarcastic, and that was unnecessary. That's totally unnecessary. She kind of hurt, hurt my feelings and i probably never see them i don't know them i will never see them again so i'll just pray they don't come to church and i'll never see them again it won't make any difference it, won't make, it can't make any difference now for some of you that's no dilemma at all you would not you would not have had that that conversation you would just turn around and apologize because you don't struggle with pride you may struggle with something else but i struggle a little bit with pride and i really did not want to humble myself and apologize Well, if we're going to be like Christ, we should. Now, let's go on to the next point. (laughs) No, I know. You're wondering what I did. Okay, so uh, the angel won, and I apologize, invited him to church. I don't think they're coming to church. But Jesus said, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And who's who's the best example of that? Jesus, who humbled himself. He was as humble as a little child. He's washing the disciples' feet. He's cooking breakfast and meals for his disciples. He's taking care of their needs, and he's going to the cross to take care of our greatest need. Jesus humbled himself, and the Bible says God has exalted Jesus. He is at the right hand of God. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and that's our example. So we we are in our family as a humble presence. We're in our church as a humble presence. That's the kind of a presence that's a blessing. Not just just being present. There are some people be a blessing if they, they light up the room when they leave the room. We want to be the kind of person who is a blessing because not only are we physically present, but we're humble. We're amongst them as one who serves and takes care of needs, humbles ourselves. And then the other thing is I was thinking about the birth of Jesus and what does his birth communicate? What does Jesus being born as a baby communicate? And that we could say many things. But the other thing that I'm going to say is vulnerability. Jesus' presence was a vulnerable presence. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. After the wise men were gone, remember this part of the account, after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and his mother. So Jesus, obviously, is vulnerable right here. Herod is trying to kill him. And when I say vulnerable, a large part of what I mean is Jesus, at this point, becomes dependent. He is dependent on Joseph and Mary to save his life. He's dependent on them for all of his needs. They've got to protect him from Herod, which they did. But even if there had been no Herod, You know, just being born a human baby in that time, you know, the mortality rate was as as much as 50 percent, 20 percent to 50 percent of babies in the ancient world never made it to their first year of life. He's vulnerable. He is dependent, and we are here as, and we are vulnerable as well. I think nobody communicates this idea of Jesus' vulnerability quite as well as Max Lucado in his book God came near. Let me, it's kind of a long quote, but hang with me on a quote from his book. Heaven opened herself and placed her most precious one in a human womb. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl, God as a fetus. His first cries were heard by a peasant girl and a sleepy carpenter. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He got colds and had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired. His head ached. To think of Jesus in this light almost seems irreverent. But let him be as human as he intended to be. Let him into the mire and muck of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. To be vulnerable, to be a vulnerable presence, I'm just saying, means we acknowledge we are dependent. We like to think of ourselves sometimes as self-reliant and independent, and a certain amount of that is good, but only to a certain point. We are all very dependent and reliant on others. I'm a bit of a prepper not extreme but a bit you know what a prepper is someone who thinks there's going to be a catastrophe of some kind so you take some measures to prepare and be ready for that I don't know what it's going to be could be an economic collapse we have 21 trillion dollars in debt here in this country that note is going to come due at some point Venezuela will come to America I think at some point but I'm not an economist I'm just a preacher who knows but Or maybe the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse bomb detonated in space over the United States. Not a nuclear bomb. No, 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 we all be nuked. What it would do would wipe out the grid, wipe out all electronics, our ability to use electricity and the grid and all of that. A congressional, there was a congressional committee that studied this. Very possible this would be not too hard to pull off. They said in the event of an EMP that knocked out our grid, that the food in the grocery stores, you know, the trucks stop rolling, the food trucks, the food in the grocery stores is gone in three days. The stores that the United States has in warehouses all over the country will begin to spoil within 30 days. And within one year, there would be 90% casualties in the country. Within one year, 90% of the population would die from starvation, from disease, from societal collapse. So, in my house, I'm not supposed to tell you this. But I've got you know, non-perishable food stored up for about 30 days. I have the life straws that filter the water. I can stick that thing in my toilet and drink it. It'll filter it right out. Anywhere I can find a body of water, you know, I can drink. I got the life straws. They got some other preparations. But you know. When you read and, and you start to imagine these scenarios, if you last for 30 days or 60 days, you're doing pretty good. If by 90 days or a little bit longer than that, the government has not reconstituted itself and has rolled in to help us, we're all in that 90% casualty rate. And I, you know, Merry Christmas. Thanks a lot, Steve. <laughs> I do not say that to be depressing or to scare anyone. I mean, who knows? I say that to emphasize this point. My point right here is vulnerability and, and dependence. We are dependent face. We are, depend- we are in a society where we are dependent upon one another. We are dependent upon our neighbors. We are dependent to a certain extent on government services. We are dependent upon a centralized food distribution system. We are so not self-reliant and dependent, even the most prepared among us. And in a spiritual sense, we are dependent on God. Here's why Jesus said to a church and. In- To a church in Revelation 17, he said, you say I'm rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Well, you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy gold for me that's been purified by the fire, and then you will be rich. And buy white garments for me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I'm just saying, let's be a presence that says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. That's what Paul said. I'm, I'm here by the grace of God. It is God who sustains me. It is God that I depend upon. I mean, I work hard. Yes, we all work hard. It's God, the Bible says, who gives us the ability to work and provides us for our resources. We are dependent spiritually on a church family. SBNR, you know what the SBNRs are? Spiritual but not religious. That's a big thing now. I'm spiritual but not religious, which means basically I reject organized religion and reject the church. Hey, that's great, except for one thing. Jesus created the church. Jesus instituted the church, and we all need a church family. Now, most of you are in a church family. God bless you. If you're not, hopefully you're looking for one. Jesus told about the shepherd who had 100 sheep. One wandered away. He left the 99 because they're okay. There's safety in numbers. And he went looking for that one because that one is vulnerable. You cannot be spiritually what God wants you to be and intends for you to be apart from a church family. For those of us who are already part of one, for most of us, it's this one. Be all in, all in, all in for the worship services, all in in a life group all in and have a a ministry and a service that we perform, 100% in. What does Emmanuel mean? Not God with me, although he is with me, God with us, God with us. Uh, Let me close with this statement by Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson writes, God the Father is spirit. He is without skin. Jesus is God with skin on. And the Holy Spirit is God in our skin. Emmanuel, God is with us in so many ways. Our Father in heaven, we want to remember at this time of year, the account, not the story, it's not once upon a time, the account of what happened. God the Son, born as a human baby. You came to be present with us in order to accomplish your work, your important work on the cross, so we could indeed be blessed by your presence, and be in your presence. We remember today to to re-gift that, to pass a presence on that is physical, and that is humble, and that is dependable. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.